The Overcoming Life, Revelation chapter 12, and uh, find verse 7 as we read God's Word. New International, uh, pardon me, New King James today. If you're all there, say amen. War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail. How could they? Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused them before God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him. Come on, let's all read this together. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for what you did in the first service, now for what you're doing this one. We pray that the effects of the preaching of your word would be far-reaching even to eternity. I thank you that your word goes forth and does not return void and that you will fulfill, you will accomplish the purpose for which it's sent. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to come, giving us each and every one living understanding that we will be transformed by your word today. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will remain, will endure forever. Come and have your way, have your will. May we never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. Let me bring your attention while you're settling yourself. We do have notes uh, that are going around. Let me bring your attention to these brand new uh, church cards. It's like a business card. You can get these at the information desk out there, and uh, you can invite people to church. It's got the service times on one side and a nice graphic on the other. And uh, these, are, these are beautiful. Thank you to our media department that made them wonderful. A new series, three parts. Uh, this is part one. You know, to overcome, the overcoming life is what we're calling this series. To overcome means to prevail in the midst of difficulties. It means to prevail in the midst of difficulties. If I can use Samuel's testimony with his wife, sickness was upon them, and they didn't know what to do. They prayed, and they overcame sickness by the power of God, God's grace, God's mercy. She's healed. She's home. She'll join us shortly in the weeks to come. They overcame the sickness. You have been made to be more than a conqueror. You and I are made to be overcomers. That's a couple things about that. One means you're going to have some challenges. You're going to have some obstacles. You're going to have obstacles and you're to see them as springboards by which to launch you into 
greater effectiveness and more Christ-likeness in your life. Overcomers. This first message is overcoming by the weapon of the blood. That's what I called it. Overcoming by the weapon of the blood. Used to be in churches that you heard a lot of songs about blood. In fact, you love this, uh, Pastor Barry and different ones. You've been preaching a long time. Uh, old, old time preacher told me, he says, well, son, if you, if you ever can't figure out what the Lord's saying, just preach the blood. I thought, oh, that's good advice right there. I do believe I'm hearing from the Lord and I'm preaching on the blood. The blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Nothing, nothing, nothing but the blood. Amazing. It's amazing how our culture is fascinated with vampires and all kinds of blood stuff. Why is that? Because the enemy's moving to try to undermine the effectiveness and the power and the revelation of the blood. God has given you a weapon in the blood of Jesus, and I'm going to talk to you about that. Most Christians don't have a clue about the blood and why he needed to shed his blood and what does it mean to, to plead his blood. My mother, as long as I can remember, Mom, I've heard you pray the blood. I mean, my earliest memories of being saved, which has been a little while now, my mom would always probably just plead the blood. I plead the blood over this conversation. I plead the blood over you. I pray the blood of Jesus over you. I play the blood of Jesus over this. I play the blood of Jesus. I mean, it's just over and over. It's just part of her prayer life. The blood, the blood, the blood. Any, anytime you hear somebody praying the blood with, with, uh, with an effectiveness and anointing like that, it means they understand about the blood. And you need to understand that you can overcome, but without the blood, you've lost. Without the blood, you're finished, finito, done. Without the blood, there's no salvation, there's no healing, there's no deliverance. Without the blood, we ain't even having church today. But by the blood, we can overcome even the fiery one, the dragon, the, the liar, the accuser. We can be overcomers. We can live the overcoming life by the blood of Jesus. How? By the blood of, say it again, by the blood of Jesus. The phrase to plead the blood is a legal term. It's a legal term. Ever heard I plead the fifth? Right. There's a court in heaven. There's a judge in heaven, the judge of all. You might not have gotten a great judgment in this earthly judge, or maybe you felt like you did. The truth is all of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The great and awesome judge is God the Father. And there's a court in heaven. And they're seated. They make decisions. There's decisions made in heaven. Listen, the very, the very word for church, ecclesia, I'm off my notes right now, but some of you need to hear this. The word ecclesia, is, is the, meaning of a, the meaning of that is a political one. It's those called out to vote, and when they vote, that would be the decision. I hope you've registered. We've got votes coming up here, August 21. Do I have that right? August 21st, we vote. Good to have Mayor Edna here running for house. Come on, you got to get out and vote. You got you to vote. That's, a, that's, a, that's a, uh, an honor and a privilege and really a responsibility as a believer to vote in this nation. The ecclesia is those that would be called out by a, by a town crier or a herald to, to make decisions. And when the decisions that they would make would then be law. We're called the ecclesia, the church. It's not by accident. 
You see that when we vote, when we, when we vote, when we pray, when we pray God's word, we come in agreement with God in the heavens with his word and here in the earth, it's done, it's settled, it's finished. That's, in fact, that's what amen means. Amen means it's finished, it's done, it's over. That's it, amen, boom. Come on, someone say amen. So plead the blood is a phrase. It's a legal phrase saying that you're, you're standing in a place of being washed, being cleansed, being forgiven, being redeemed, being a propiti- he made a propitiation for our sin. It's a legal stance before the court of God. So I plead the blood over my children. So you're standing there as an intercessor, as a think about it like as a lawyer, made righteous by the blood, we'll get into it, but then you can pray over your family, the blood. I plead the blood over my family. I plead the blood over my marriage. I plead the blood over my children. All right, I'm ahead of myself just a little bit. Let's look at our text. Um, I spent many, many hours uh, studying, and it's really, it's the, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the, the sugar daddies for me to, you know, I mean, it's the bee's knees to study the word. I mean, if I, if I could just do that all the time, it'd be great. I've got lots of responsibilities, but it's, it's, the, it's the blessing for me to, to study the word and bring it to you. It's my favorite thing. I had one person say, man, if I just didn't have to do all the preparation, I'm like, dude. But it's like other people like, I just want to administrate. I'm like, oh, my God, thank God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Lord, help them. Amen. Some people, like, really, they, their heart starts beating. Oh, I get to organize something. I want to run. I don't know about you. And so I was studying the Word for hours. I, I, I began to get wrapped up, trying to wrap myself up in this book of Revelation. And um, it used to be just a weird book, as I was telling Pastor Barry here. It used to be just a weird book to me. I, I mean, I... I just don't know how to take it, and, and not that I do now. I've, I've learned a little bit, but I, I started really digging in, and it, and it was just like all these doors started opening, and God started speaking to me. And I, I thought, Lord, you've got to help me bring this message to a point where people can leave here empowered and, and released into truth so that you can affect and change your life. I'm not here to expound all these kinds of platitudes to, think, to get you to think I know something. I really don't know all that much. In fact, the more I learn, the more I know I don't know very much. And everybody that's honest and educational will say the same thing. The more you learn, the more you know you don't know much. So as I began to look at this, <laughs> let me say it this way. I'm going to quote Jack Hayford. See, because there's various interpretive systems by which to look at the book of Revelation. And I, I love what Jack Hayford says about it. it. Because in redemptive history, depending upon the interpretive system you use for the book of Revelation, the timing of it all can be a little confusing. So if you're pre-millennial or amillennial or post-millennial, or where, some of you are like, I don't even know, what's a millennial? <laughs> don't worry about it for now. Here's what Jack Hayford said. We need a common base of wisdom in which this we presently face a common adversary, the devil, the accuser, and no complete interpretive scheme will be verified until Jesus comes. I love that. So you can have an idea of when the millennial reign is and when the rapture is, pre, mid, post. Somebody say, well, I'm, I'm pan. That means it's all going to pan out. You'd be like, oh, and, and, and all the different definitions in this Revelation 12, who the woman is, who the, who the male child is, and on and on and on and on. 
And we could go over and I could tell you what the different people, but I, I want you to leave this with fresh understanding of how to live the overcoming life. And I want you, I feel by the Holy Ghost, to understand the power of the blood. The power of the blood. So, let's take it this way. We're at war. Write it in your notes. We're at war. There's a great war in the heavens, the text says. Now, you say, what's Satan doing in the heavens? Well, there's three heavens, biblically. There's the first heaven. That's the one you're living in. By definition, that's the one where you can see it. It's a creation. It's this earth that we're walking on, this first heaven. Second heaven, that's the invisible realm, invisible to us, although sometimes the Lord opens our eyes to see it, where the battle's taking place. There's, there's demons. There's the devil. There's, there's angels. There's this great battle going on. There, there, there's a, the, the, the second heavens. That's not the th where the throne is. That's not where God's throne is. God's throne is in the third heaven. So when it says that the great dragon is thrown out of heaven, it's interpreted by some to mean that he's no longer in the air anymore. He's been thrown down to the earth. He's been grounded. So Paul talks about warfare, that, that, that we're at war. And if you don't understand that you're in a war, then you're in big trouble. Come on, look at your, bump your neighbor and say, Jack, we're at war. In fact, this, this text, Satan, is described as a formidable adversary. A red dragon, an enormous red dragon. Talks about these seven heads, seven crowns, and ten horns. It's seven heads of the seven empires that persecute Israel. I believe that to be true. And, and different scholars move things around. And who's the, what's, the, what's the, ten, the, ten, uh, the ten horns? I believe it speaks of a ten-nation confederation. Some of those we know who they are. Some of them we don't. Some of those mysteries that are. You'll notice that one-third of the angelic host is taken out with him. One-third, which corresponds to Ezekiel and Isaiah talking about Satan with a third of the angels falling, innumerable, a third of innumerable, one-third of innumerable. How many is that? A lot. Many believe those to be the demons. He's called Satan, the accuser, devil. He's translated slander, devil which translated slander. There are, there are more terms in this verse 9 for Satan, in this paragraph, than for Satan than any other passage in all of Scripture. Fascinating. He deceives the whole world. You could add that. The deceiver of the whole world would be another name. Wow. And uh, he's furious. He's really, really mad. Furious is not just mad. It's really, really, really mad. So with great wrath, he comes to the earth. How do you handle a formidable foe with a third of uh, the angels or demons with him? How do you fight against that? Good question. He's thrown out of heaven. He's defeated on the earth because God's power has come to the earth. Say it. God's power has come to the earth. How? By sending his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who died in your place and mine. And because of his death and his resurrection, we have power. In fact, look at the text with us. Verse 10, now have come, now in front of salvation, and can you put the New International Version up for me? Can we put, look at a scripture? 
So it's Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. I want you to see this because uh, not in all translations is it clear. New International Version, chapter 12 of the book of Revelation, verse 10. Now have come the salvation. Everybody say the. the. Now it's not in every translation. It wasn't in the New King James that I read, but there's an article in front of salvation. So it's the salvation. My last name is Bracken. So if I say the Brackens, I'm talking about my whole family, all of them, all of the cousins, everybody that has the last name of Bracken, right? The church at 1701 North Lucille Street. What are we talking about? This building right here, right? You get it? So when it says the salvation, it's talking specifically about the salvation. There's only one, the salvation, the salvation. Now has come the salvation and the power. What power? The power of the Holy Spirit, the resurrection power, not the power of demons, not the power of, of a Red Bull, the power, the power. I got the power of the power and the kingdom. Everybody say the kingdom. The kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. The, the, the. You, it's talking about what Jesus has released on the earth. Leave the scripture up. We have salvation because what Jesus has given. What Jesus has released. What Christ has released. Write in your notes. Salvation of the whole world for all who believe in him. Not just salvation, but the power. What power? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Not just, the, not just the power of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom. The what? The kingdom of God has been released. You say the kingdom of God's been released? Yes, not in its fullness just yet, but soon. The authority, the authority of his Messiah, the authority. We have the salvation, the, the power, the kingdom, the Authority. We have these things. This is what Jesus has purchased for us. Now, I will tell you that most people live far beneath their God-given, blood-bought right. Blood-bought, purchased by the sinless, shed blood of Jesus Christ, has redeemed us, has, has purchased for us, and given us the salvation, the power, the kingdom, the authority. He's given that all to you. Now, most people don't live that way. They don't live out of an understanding that you have been washed, that you've been... I might preach in here. That's what Jesus has released. Christ and his followers, write in your notes so you can go preach it to somebody else. Christ and his followers on earth who continue to walk in his victory release the salvation, the power, the kingdom, the authority. So we're overcomers. Everybody say, I'm an overcomer. Seven times, and there's promises to all of the seven times in the book of Revelation that, that John the Revelator writes. He who overcomes, Jesus says, he who overcomes, I will give, I will give, I will give. Seven times, there's seven promises. You can do a whole series on that. Seven different promises to those who overcome. The fact that they do overcome, listen to me very closely. The fact that you do overcome is evidence that you can overcome. Why would God say to them that overcame, come on, you're just a human being. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And, and you can, God makes a way of escape. So if one man can do it by the power of the name of Jesus, so then so can two. You can do it. You can overcome. You can conquer. You don't have to yield to the depression. You don't have to yield to the sickness. You don't have to yield to disease. Don't, in fact, overcome every obstacle. Every You can do it. 
Why? Because the salvation, the power, the kingdom, the authority is all yours. Come on, if you had a gazillion dollars in the bank, but you didn't know it. My brother was here. I had two brothers. They were both here. Really enjoyed their, their time with me. And I, I think my brother Chris might be on right now. God bless you, Chris. I love you. Sup. He showed me a little app and he said, hey, have you ever looked this up? Because you can find money that you might not know you have. I said, what? He said, yeah. You, tell, you, you, put, you put your name in. He punched my name in. And it brings up some former address of mine. He says, yeah, is this you? I go, yeah. He says, you might have money that you don't know about. I thought, ooh, cool. Either that or it's a scam. <laughs> anyway, what, it's interesting to think that you might have some money that you don't know about. That's not interesting to you? Come on, wouldn't you like to write some checks on some money that's there, but maybe you don't know about it, you're not going to write any checks unless, of course, you want to commit fraud and go to jail. If you knew you had the money, you'd write the check, right? Many people don't know you have a whole bank account that Jesus has purchased for you, and you live far beneath what God's purchased for you. You don't walk in power. You don't walk in authority. Hello, I'm preaching way better than you're amening. You don't walk in the kingdom, and maybe you're not even saved. Maybe you don't even understand salvation. This message will help you to understand salvation, will help you to understand the kingdom, will help you to understand the power, will help you to understand authority. You have a weapon. It's called the blood of Jesus. We can overcome. So understanding the concept of the blood in Scripture, and I've been through this many, many times before, so if you've been here for any length of time, you've heard me preach on the blood. But it's amazing to me that in many places, you'll never hear a message about the blood. You'll hear something about leadership. You'll hear something about some cute, happy thing. Listen, Christianity is, is not cute and happy, although it, it produces joy and produces victory, but it was very costly. And we don't really have an understanding of holiness. See, if we have an understanding of holiness and you begin to understand the blood. So my, my role this morning in the 10, 12 minutes left in my preaching, unless, of course, I decide to go longer, is to help you to understand about the power of the blood of Jesus. So, here we go. Are you ready? Understanding the concept of blood in, in Scripture, specifically in the Old Testament. The blood is God-given life. The blood is life. Say it. The blood is life. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 4, the Lord says to Noah, and now God has wiped out all of mankind except for Noah and his household. They, they got in the arky made of gopher wood. Arky, arky, you remember that? And it comes out, and he, and he, has, he makes an altar, and they, has this rainbow, which is a picture of the covenant that it will never flood the earth again. And in Genesis 9-4, it says, but you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. In fact, in the church, if you go to the book of Acts, the one thing that the apostles insisted that the Gentile church would not do you can eat pork, you can eat anything you want, except you may not eat the blood. Because the blood is sacred. Blood is sacred. Uh, one culture in Hawaii, they're into blood sausage. Yeah, you, you, that's, that's verboten in German. Just sounds more forbidden if you say it in verboten. 
You must not eat the lifeblood in it. It was part of the regulations that the Gentiles needed to follow. You can eat pork, but you may not eat blood. And it relates to this understanding of Leviticus 17. Turn with me if you can. Leviticus 17, as I teach you here. I'm going to end up preaching, though, because I'm going to lose my mind by the time I get to Hebrews 9. I was studying this. Let me just say this. Uh, Leviticus 17. Get there. I, I was studying. I had to walk away numerous times. Walk away. It was just my wife was there, and the kids were all at camp. It was glorious. It was quiet. And, and I walked away. Walked away overwhelmed, like, oh my God, you're so awesome. Weeping, blown away by the love of God for me. Blown away by the love of God. So moved by the word. Listen, if the word doesn't move you like that, I challenge you. There's another level. Quit reading it like it's a cute little storybook and start reading it like it's truth. And learn how to study. We have, we have uh, life groups that will help you learn how to study the word. Coming up in the fall, you get plugged into those. Precept classes and Amen? Different things like that. you got to learn to study. And when you study the Word, I've had people tell me, well, the Word's just, man wrote that. Well, that's, you know, you can say that and be a moron if you want to. That's an, you prove you're un, uneducated and ignorant by saying that. Because you haven't actually studied it at all. And you're just parroting some other secular humanist who wants to say some nonsense about the Word of God. It's still the number one selling book since it, it was the first book. Guten's printing press was created the Bible was printed on it. First book was number one seller there, and it's still the number one seller. They just don't, no, it still is. It still is. They don't list it in the New York Times because the New York Times has issues. Leviticus 17, I've digressed. Leviticus 17, 11. For the life of the creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves. Atonement. Let me break that word down and say it this way, at one minute. That's really what that means. Atonement means at one minute. What does at one minute? To be made one with. So he's given us the blood so that we could be made one with him. That's why blood exists. Whoa. To make atonement for yourselves on the altar. The altar is where the holiness of God meets the sinfulness of mankind. And that's where there's blood, because somebody has to die, and the uncreated one doesn't. And as you submit and repent, then his blood can cover you. I'm going to get there. Therefore, I say to the Israelites, none of you may eat the blood. Wow. So we understand why God said to Noah in this new world, don't eat the blood. The blood itself is a declaration saying that life is a gift from God. And, and it's the blood that would actually would cover over sin. The Old Testament talks about that, the whole sacrificial system. It's tied to sacrifice, moving on in your notes. The blood is tied to sacrifice a holy God in order to meet the sinfulness of mankind and redeem him to atone, to make one, at one moment with man, something had to die. He doesn't want you to die, so something else did. Old Testament, that would be a sacrifice, a bull, a goat, and I'm, I'm simplifying the holy presence of God and sin don't mix. Let me say that again. You want God's power, you want God's fullness, you want the salvation, the kingdom, the power, and the authority, then sin doesn't mix with that. So you can try to have your little precious thing and hold on to it. You'll just walk in no power, and you'll be beat up and toe up all your life. No, 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 you're supposed to be an overcomer. Come on, say, someone say, I am an overcomer. All right. So it made atonement. The blood made atonement or a ransom was paid. 
the ransom was paid. It cleanses and makes holy, Leviticus 8.15. You'll see Moses sprinkled blood and cleanse the altar, the horns of the altar. It makes propitiation. Makes what? Propitiation. Propitiation is a big word that means to avert wrath. That's what it means. All right, turn to Hebrews 9, and this is where I, I might, I just might, I might get a little excited here. I, I, I can't help myself. This just, this moves me. Hebrews 9. So let me, let, me, let me give you some background here. Moses goes to the mountain, and, and I'm paraphrasing and simplifying. Moses goes to the mountain, and God says, hey, Moses, here's how you make the tabernacle. This is how it's supposed to be worshipped. There's this ark. Put the Ten Commandments in there, and there's these curtains, and I want you to do it such and such and so and so, and it's very detailed. Okay, that's the tabernacle in the wilderness. So, so Moses goes down, and they make this tabernacle, and that, that would, be, it would be movable, and it would literally be God's presence in the earth would be in the tabernacle. And wherever the cloud or the pillar of fire moved, they would move with it, set up the tabernacle, and they would worship God. And, and so they did that. Eventually, the tabernacle became the temple. They built the temple. David couldn't build it. He had too much blood on his hands, but he did pay for the whole thing. He had that honor. And Solomon, Solomon built the temple. And the temple has similar to the tabernacle. Where did the ideal, listen, if you go outside into, out into our lobby and you look at the, at the wall, you will see some very simple blueprints. The, the real blueprints are about 180 pages. So you just see three pages kind of pointing to what our building looks like, right? So we have, I mean, if you're going to build a house, you better have blueprints, right? If you're going to build a church, you better have blueprints. We have all of that, paid lots of money, paid an architect and so on and so forth. God gives Moses blueprints. The blueprints are then in the tabernacle and in the temple, and I'm simplifying, blueprints of what? Of It's an earthly tabernacle, but it represents the heavenly tabernacle. It represents what? The heavenly. There is actually in heaven a temple. There, there's a mercy seat. There's all of the things that are in the earthly tabernacle are actually replicas of the real one. Amen. Did I lose you? If I lost you, just, just hang in there. Go get the, go get the tape. Eight-track tape. So here we go. Just had to fill that in. So, so Jesus, the Lamb of God that was slain before the beginnings of the foundations of the world. The what? The, the Lamb of God. John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb. Okay. Hebrews 9, 12. He did not enter talking about the, the heavenly tabernacle. Talking about the heavenly temple. He did not enter by the means of the blood of bulls and goats and calves. But he entered the most holy place. In other words, not the replica, but actually the one in heaven. Once and for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of the heifer. This is talking about the old sacrificial system, which I talked about briefly. Sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. So when they would do these things with the blood and the, and the ashes of the heifer and all these very detailed procedure on how to worship the Lord, it would cleanse them so they wouldn't get killed. It is said that the high priest had bells on the ends of his robe, so if he messed it up, he had bells so you could hear him moving, and then they had a rope, they said, that was tied around his ankle so that if he messed it up, they could pull him out without everybody dying. Because you couldn't go, just go in because you wanted to. 
And it says, if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the heifer cleansed, then, verse 14, how much more then will the blood of Jesus Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself to unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Wow. Hebrews 10, verse 4, because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. We are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You say, that's really, I don't really understand that. Well, there's a bit of a mystery there. But the longer you study and you look at the types and shadows of the Old Testament coming into the New, you'll begin to realize you really have the salvation. You really have the power. You really have the kingdom. You really have the authority. And you need to meditate on it and go over it and push it deep down into your heart. Begin to speak it. I have salvation. I'm saved. I'm saved because he died in my place. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Hallelujah. I've been redeemed. I've been washed. I've been cleansed. He's taken my sin and has thrown it as far as the east is from the west. I'm the head and not the tail. I've been forgiven. I've been cleansed. I'm the, I'm the righteousness of God. Ah, in Christ Jesus. And that righteousness that he gives you is perfect. Because if it wasn't, you couldn't come boldly before his throne. That's an imputed. Everybody say imputed. Okay, that's, it's given to you just because you believed. You repented and believed. Imparted righteousness is you actually, as a revelation of that, begin to live out rightly. Righteous acts. So we're cleansed by Christ's blood. Everybody say we're cleansed. We're forgiven and ransomed, Ephesians 1 and 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Wow. Hebrews 9 and 22. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, for without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. So we have been forgiven. Why? Because of Jesus' blood shed on the cross. Why are you forgiven? Because of Jesus' blood shed on the cross. Why are you forgiven? Because of Jesus' blood shed on the cross. Okay, not because you did anything right. You didn't do anything right, neither did I. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but you get a hold of the revelation of the blood. It makes you new. You can live the overcoming life because of the blood of Jesus. No other fountain, no. Although the ground is sinking sand, but on Christ's solid rock I stand. <laughs> We've been made holy. Hebrews 13, 12. And so Jesus also, also suffered outside the city gate to make a people holy through his blood. Now, I don't want to break all that down right just now, but we've been made holy. It's, he gives you his holiness, his righteousness, otherwise you wouldn't be able to go into heaven. If it was something you had to work out, it's instant. The moment you believed, the moment you've repented, boom. We've been made holy. He's a propitiation. P-R-O-P-I-T-I-A-T-I-O-N. Propitiation. He was a propitiation for us, a ransom for us. Here, we'll just give you some quick scriptures. Romans 3.25, God presented him as a sacrifice, as an atonement, as an at-one-ment. In other words, God presented Jesus so that you could be made one with him again. Through faith, confident assurance in his blood. Romans 5, 9. Since we have now been justified by his 
blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? 1 John 2 and 2. He is the atoning, there it is, at one minute, or atonement, or atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And that brings me to the main thrust or the main point of this message. God has called you to be an overcomer. He's called me to be an overcomer. He's called us to live an overcoming life, a prevailing, conquering life, all of your life. You can't keep a good man down. That's why he got up on the third day, one of the, one of the good reasons. And I will tell you, if you serve God with all your heart, it doesn't matter what comes before you. It doesn't matter what obstacle you face. It doesn't matter what wall stands between you and the promised land or the blessings. You can overcome. You can conquer. You can run through a troop. You can jump over a wall. You can do it. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Quit being shoved into some little religious hole to get you to think that you don't have power, that you don't have authority. Hang your head in some kind of false humility, thinking that, Oh, well, just, rise up and begin to begin to take authority over your household. Take authority over the things that you're facing. Speak to the enemy and command him to go. If you're offended and your first time this is your first time at the church, please come two more times. How to live the overcoming life by the weapon of the blood. How to, how to live. Here's the application now. How do, we, how do we use this revelation? Well, first of all, being an overcomer is a gift. Listen, we could just say be a Christian. Because a Christian means overcomer. It means Christ-like. It means that though they, they thought you were dead, but you got up. Christian. Walk humbly. In Ephesians 1, Paul in prison, he, he, he writes, I urge you. To live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, verse 2, well, verse 1, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. In other words, be aware of what Jesus has purchased for you. You've been made holy. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Christ is in you, the mystery, deity inside of humanity. He lives on the inside of you. You can do all things, right? So that, so that you are his representative in the earth. You're representing him in the earth. So when somebody meets you, they come in contact with you, they have dealings with you, something's different about you. There's power that you have. There's favor on you. Something happens. Why? Because you're a Christian. Right? So he's saying, I urge you to live a life, Ephesians 1, worthy of the calling you have received. And then he says in verse 2, which is like kind of shocking, because in the world you think like, I'm... Born again, you know, they, I've got all this power, I've got all this authority. And then he says, be completely humble. It's kind of like, yeah, because your strength is the fact that you're in him. Your strength is his strength, not anything of your own. Our strength lies in his strength. Many become pride and arrogant uh, in ministry. I've seen that. And uh, many fall to the trap of the devil. You'll see it when great power gets released through people. Listen, it wouldn't be crazy if when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on the donkey and everybody's worshiping and the donkey's like, thank you very much. I'm just here for a few days, praise God. Just for, uh, you're the, the King James has a name for you. Would it be crazy that the donkey would take accolades? Oh, yes, they're laying their cloaks before me. Thank you very much. It's Jesus on you, you donkey. 
And if you start thinking that you're somebody, that, that, that we, uh, to quote Pastor Timothy, we humbly rock. I'm humbly bad to the bone. I'm, I'm humbly have authority because Jesus lives on the inside. You see, it's, it's different. It's not like, oh, I'm just, I'm, just I'm going to go eat worms and I, I love the Lord. I just one day he's going to come back and he's going to rescue us. But for now, I'm going to eat worms. I'm unworthy. Unworthy. I'm unworthy. What? Whoever told you that? That's not even biblical, man. I'm unworthy. Oh, no, I can't. I'm unworthy. What? Then you're basically saying that the blood of Jesus is not enough for you. Let me just help you with some of you that struggle with insecurity. Let me help you. You mean like, oh, no, I can't. What? Listen, when you, when you struggle with insecurity, what you're saying basically is you're saying the blood of Jesus is not enough to make you righteous. No, in your mind. You will, I don't want somebody to think that I'm all prideful. Yeah, you have a pride problem. We all struggle with that. I understand that. But a confident, a righteous are as bold as a lion. And when you understand that you've been made one, you've been atoned for, when you understand that you're no longer headed to a devil's hell, but your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and you've been here left to bring the kingdom, the salvation, the kingdom, the power, the authority. That's why you're here to overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of your testimony, and love your lives, not so much as to shrink from death. When you realize that, you'll begin to walk differently. You'll begin to talk differently. And you won't let the devil run around pushing and pulling you, and you certainly won't be like, I'm just a worm, and this is my whole worm family, and we're unworthy. That's not a biblical thing. That's false humility. That's false humility. Okay, we can live holy. Worship team, please. We can live holy and not give place to the devil. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Just as in justice. He's just. Justice is served so that you could be forgiven. Some of you, some of you want Jesus to do something else. Listen, he's not coming again to die on a cross again for you. He already did that. So if you don't feel worthy, it's not his fault. Change your feelings. Bishop Joseph Garlington, I've shared this many times, but Bishop Joseph Garlington, some of you know he is a great, great, great pastor in the Pittsburgh area. And um, he shared when he first got married, he's preaching and pastoring, and I think it was six months, they just got married. And uh, he woke up one morning and he says to his wife, gosh, I, I don't feel like I'm married. And she says, well, you would adju better adjust your feelings to the facts. <laughs> Some of you don't adjust your feelings to the truth. You just go by what you feel. And if you feel unworthy, you ought to, it would be best for you to adjust your feelings to the truth, to the facts that you have been redeemed, you have been washed, you have been cleansed. You don't need to eat worms in the backyard and wait for him to come and rescue you. Who you already sent, come on. Some of you are like, Jesus, please drive the devil. Jesus, won't you please? I heard somebody pray recently and it was like they were begging God to do what he already did. It's like they were begging God, please, won't you please? Oh, please. It was this weak, anemic prayer that had no authority. Just. I, I, I used to get angry. Actually, I got sad. I thought, oh, man. I mean, you, you want Jesus to drive the devil out of your house? Listen, he already did. You, you have to do it. Hello? 
Don't look at me with that religious tone of voice. He died on a cross. He rose again from the grave. He rose again and he gave gifts. He gave you authority. He gave you the kingdom. He gave power. Now stand up in your God-given right and command that thing to leave your house. You wait for Jesus to come. Well, Jesus lives on the inside of you. If Jesus showed up in your house today, if Jesus, if you went home and Jesus was sitting at the kitchen table ready for lunch, there it is, fish and loaves right there. Would you have, and he, and he stayed there, the, listen, this, just indulge me for a second. And he stayed in your house and he lived there. Would you ever have another problem? I mean, Jesus, Jesus, he's at your house. He lives there. And you have lunch with him and, and you have dinner. And he said, I've decided to stay. So he lives in your house. Where does he live? He lives in your house. Would you ever have a problem? Well, you, you might have it. it. It might die, but, but he'd raise it up. Oh, 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 it might get sick, but, but he'd heal it. It might be lost, but, but, but he'd find it. Mike, he'd, he'd find it. And if it's broken, he'd just put it all back together. Why? He's God. Well, here's the good news. The good news is this. The good news is Jesus has come to live in your heart. He's come to live in my heart. He doesn't live inside a temple made by human hands. He comes to live inside of you. He comes to live inside of me. He comes by his blood, by the power and the authority of the blood. He comes to live on the inside of you. Oh, come on. Come on, shout to God today. Quit belly aching and take the word of God and begin to speak to that thing. Speak to that sickness. Speak to that impossibility. There is nothing that's impossible with God. To them that believe God, nothing is impossible. He can do it. He can heal it. He can set them free. He can save your whole family. Come on, stand up on your feet all across this place. Come on, shout to God like you just got every miracle you ever believed for. Come on, just talk to him while I find my notes again. Hallelujah. We can live holy. Plead the blood is to take a legal stand. You begin to use that. I declare, I plead the blood over my kids. I plead the blood over the church. I do this every morning for those who call this place home. You know who you are. I think I know many. I plead the blood over every person that calls this church home. That's my job. I'm your pastor. We're your pastors. We cover you in prayer. I plead the blood over you and over your finances and over your businesses. I plead the blood over you and your health and divine health and strength. I plead the blood every single day. Plead the blood. Oh, the blood. Come on, say, I plead the blood over my family. I stand before the court of heaven and I declare the blood of Jesus is enough. He's done it, redeemed, saved, atoned for, propitiation. Oh, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I plead the blood, devil, shut your mouth. You've got no right. Somebody getting something today. Satan is a squatter. He's a squatter, so he'll come and try to take territory. Lived in Manhattan, Lower East Side, buildings that they would demo, they would brick up so all the windows would be closed. And they would sit there until they got a permit for the big wrecking ball to come and break that building down. And homeless people, drug addicts and such, would go and break holes in the cinder blocks and crawl into the rooms. And then they would set up their little drug camps and stuff and live there. And they're called 
squatters. It's exactly what the devil tries to do. Now we know that they're just bound and they're, they're hurting and they need to be set free. We understand that. But the illustration is that the devil tries to break into your mind, break into your thinking, break into your life, bust a hole in it, and then camp out. He needs to be forcefully evicted. He needs to be driven out. You stand before God and his angels and before Satan and his demons and you say, I know that you know that you have no right because of the blood of Jesus. Now leave in Jesus' name. It's a different kind of prayer. It's a different kind of authority. Apply the blood. I'm done. Apply the blood to every area of your life. Come on. Come on, shout to God. Thank you for your blood. Come on, thank Him. Thank you for your blood. With every head bowed, every eye closed, we're going to receive communion. Perfect message to receive communion with. If you're not right with God, don't you leave this place in that condition. Give your life to Jesus for the first time or make a recommitment to Him if you've drifted or if you just want to be sure of your salvation. On the count of three, I want you to slip your hand up. If you're serious about getting right with God, for the first time, maybe you've never received Him, repented of your sin and believed on Him and been made born again. If you can't remember being born again, then you probably weren't. It's not the kind of thing that you forget. But if you've never done that in a moment, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand when I count to three. Two, secondly, if you drifted away, you know, you know, you, you, you used to serve the Lord. You were right with God at one point, but you drifted away. Now you do your own thing. Maybe you're caught, caught up in some sin, secret sin or open sin or whatever. You need to get right with God. You need to get right with God. Or secondly, or thirdly, pardon me, you want to be assured of your salvation all across this place. You say, that's me, Pastor, on the count of three. That's you. You want to get, give your heart to Jesus first time. Number two, you want to recommit because you drifted away. You want to come home. Number three, you just want to be sure of your salvation. On the count of three, slip your hand up. One, two, three. Slip your hand up high. God bless you. God bless you. God, my, my, my. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. My, my. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. <laughs> God, I'm laughing because it's awesome. It's called good news. God bless you. Let me see that hand. All right, here's what we're going to do. If you raised your hand, now in a, in a moment we're going to take communion, but not yet. You raise your hand, you're serious. I never want anybody to feel embarrassed, to want to protect your dignity, but I know this from the Word of God. If you deny me before men, said Jesus, then I'll deny you before my Heavenly Father. But if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you. So if you want to give your heart to Jesus first time, a recommitment, or you raised your hand or you didn't, and you know you need to be included in this prayer, as soon as Minister Micah begins to sing, you step out from where you're standing and meet me right here. Lord, come on, come. Come as close to my hand as you can. Come on, come. I give you my soul. Come on. Praise God. Come on, just come right now. Lord, have your way. Come on, come. Come all the way up close. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. It's a new day. It's a new hour. Come on, there's room. Can you guys step all the way up to the stairs? Thank you. Every breath that I take. Every moment. Every moment I'm away. Lord, have your way. Pray this simple prayer, really simple. 
All we're going to do is we're going to acknowledge that God sent His one and only begotten Son, Jesus, who died on a cross for you and for me. We're going we're gonna to say that we believe that in this prayer, and I'm going to lead you. And then we're going to repent. We're going to ask Him to forgive us for where we've fallen short, where we've blown it, where we might have grieved Him, where we've lied, where we've stolen, where we've cheated. That's everyone. All have sinned and fallen short, the glory of God. But the gift, the what? The gift. It's a gift. You can't earn it. The gift of God is eternal life. So pray this prayer with me. And those of you in the congregation, those online, would you just affirm your faith? If you're already right with God, just affirm your faith and support these as they give their lives to Jesus for the first time or make a recommitment or just are assured. Come on, pray with me right out loud. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die in my place, to rise again from the grave for me. Forgive me of my sin and come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Wash me. Cleanse me. And make me new. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, I pray. A breaking of every chain, every bondage. A healing of the wounds. Touch these. Fill these right now. Come on, if you have the freedom to pray in your heavenly language, go ahead and do that. God will give you power. He'll give you the power, the power of the Spirit to live for Him. God, we thank you. God, we praise you. We give you glory. We give you honor. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to do one more thing. You know, the, the stewards just had a baby. Uh, some of you know John and, and Marisa. They just had a baby uh, yesterday. That baby, I promise you, is getting the finest nutrition and, and um, they're starting to feed and all that, right? You, you understand? When somebody gives their heart to Jesus for the first time or in a recommitment, they're like a baby in Christ. What would be wrong for us is to not help you grow in the things of God. So we want to help you. And the way that we do that, Pastor Vince is right here. He's one of my Connect pastors, and he's, he's going to lead us right down that center aisle. Would you give us about three minutes of your time? We want to give you a little Bible study. We want to pray for you. We want to bless you. Just about three minutes, that's all, and we'll come right back in. Put your hands together for these guys. Would you follow Pastor Vince right down? Mike, would you help us, please? Elizabeth, would you help us, please, if you're able to? with God. Now the salvation, the power, the kingdom, the authority of our Christ has come. God, we give you praise and we give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, you may be seated because you've been standing so long. Here's what we'll do. Ushers, would you come, please? We're going to sing some of these blood songs. And as we do, they're going to serve you. We're going to take communion. This is a very important part of a, our service. We take communion once a month on a Sunday morning. You want to receive this in a worthy manner. How is that? That The worthy manner is to not look at it like it's just a little cup of juice, although it is juice. It's not wine. We don't serve wine, so we don't exclude former alcoholics. And uh, it's matzo bread, unleavened bread, but it doesn't have to be matzo bread. It could be wonder bread. Uh, 
but it is matzo bread. I, I like the, the little Pepperidge Farm goldfish myself. But there's just symbols, okay? They're symbols. They're what? They're symbols. They're powerful symbols. And they're symbols of his death, his resurrection. And as soon as everybody is served, we'll, re we'll, we'll, we'll receive communion altogether. It's a covenant act. It's the cup of the new covenant. His blood, which is shed for you. You're declaring, you're proclaiming his blood is shed for you. And that you've been made new. You've been atoned for. If you know you're going to go back to the same old sin that you've been doing, like you've got plans, you're going to leave here and you're going to go and do that stuff, then it would be better for you not to have communion because, because what the scripture says is if you receive communion in an unworthy manner, then you'll die early. You get diseases. You're like, oh, snap, you should have told me before you served. Listen, I respect somebody that doesn't take communion. But, but really what you should do is even if you're like, well, I'm stuck in this habitual sin. I, I can't seem to break it. Well, you believe to break it right now. And before the Lord, you say, God, you know, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Help me. I break this thing in the name of Jesus. And you break it and you take communion and you fight and you get, you get, you get relationship. You get some prayer. You confess your faults one to another, as says in James. Pray for one another. You may be healed. You don't have to be in bondage anymore. You don't have to be in bondage. You can be free. Amen. The salvation. The, the, the kingdom. The power. The authority. He, he's done it all for you. Remember, if Jesus moved into your house, would you have any more problems? Think about that. No. Right. He did. He moved into your house. He actually moved into your heart. John, was it John? Luke. Luke 12. He says, I have a baptism. I can't wait. He says in Luke 12. I can't wait to be baptized with the baptism that I have. He's talking about, I can't wait to be crucified so that I could baptize you with fire. He's saying, I can't wait to be crucified so that I can live in every single person's heart who repents. That's what he's saying. Let's sing some blood songs. Come on. Please.
wash away my sin. I, I like that part. Sing it. What can wash away my sin? Thank you. Nothing but the blood. Come on, sing to him today. Oh, precious. be sure to have all of our newly committed and newly saved folks come on back in. We love you. Praise the Lord. It's a new day. We're going to receive communion all together in just a moment. set out there. Everybody in here, Minister Ava. Yeah, all right, good. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup and he blessed it and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood, which is shed, it's not spilled, you spilled milk. He didn't spill his blood, he shed it on purpose. My blood was just shed for the remission of sins, forgiveness of sins. In likewise manner, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So Lord, before you in this holy moment, we remember that it is your blood that cleansed us from sin and made us born again as we've repented. And it's your broken body, your 39 lashes that brought us healing. We remember your healing. We remember salvation, the kingdom, the power, the authority. We remember that today. And we remember that you are coming back to rule and reign for a thousand years. And you're teaching us, Lord, even in the midst of it now. And so we thank you that we are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, loving our lives not so much as to shrink from death, we receive your forgiveness, God. We repent again, wrong thoughts, motives, attitudes. Wash us, cleanse us, break habits, break bondages. Release the power of your kingdom, your resurrection, salvation, all that you have. We thank you for it. We receive it now. And we say, even so, Maranatha. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's eat and drink together. curse is broken. God is on the throne. He's done it for us. He's redeemed us. <laughs> it's the original Happy Meal. McDonald's stole it from the church. The Happy Meal, the meal that heals is communion. 
I'd ask you to put your hands together, but you might get some shards in here, which is not doctrine. You do not have to smash your plastic cup. All right, if you want to keep it intact, that's fine. But I think we ought to say hallelujah to the Lord. Come on, one, two, three. Hallelujah. Come on, worship Him for a moment. Just thank Him right out loud. God, thank You. Thank You for what You've done. We give You praise. We give You glory. And we give You honor. Going a little bit over on my time. You'll excuse me, but let me close in blessing. <laughs> I pray the high priestly prayer of the book of Numbers as my grandfather and great-grandfather did. The high priestly prayer. God, as Jesus did, I believe, in Luke, when he ascended, he reached his hands out and he blessed him. I believe he prayed this prayer right here, found in Numbers. Lord, bless your people. Cause your face to shine upon us. Lift up your countenance towards us. Be gracious to us, God. Keep us and give us peace. In Jesus' name, amen.